Well, I wanna welcome everyone here. You're inside the Temple of Mims Serenity. This is the Mims Society podcast, hosted by yours truly, John Mims. Happy Thursday, everyone. I know everyone probably is ready with your Q&A, your questions pertaining to this weekend Super Bowl. We have Kansas City Chiefs going to begin San Francisco 49ers. As I said on the other night's episode, I anticipated to be not necessarily a high scoring affair. I think it's going to come down to defense. I think that uh, it may come down to special teams. And I also believe it may also be an unsung hero that may rise above in the ranks. So we're going to definitely see what's going to happen with that. Um, As I told my cousin the other night, uh, a big shout out to BJ Hayes and Undisclosed Location, wherever you are. We both are in agreement that we're going to go for San Fran on obvious reasons that we think that's uh, not necessarily say it's the better team on paper, but it it could possibly be an underdog story, to say the least. But it's right now that's neither here or there because the game is on Sunday. We have a few days uh, before that happens. So go ahead and check me out. Hit that like and subscribe button on anchor.fm slash John Mims. You can also catch me on Spotify, on Apple. Also, Amazon and iHeartRadio. I also want to also want to piggyback on. I want to change gears here real quick, and we're gonna say rest in peace to Carl Weathers. Uh, I know that he was very, very influential in the not just the black community as far as making movies in Hollywood, but just in general. Uh, my memory of him is in the Rocky. Uh, franchise and also a lot of people say Predator and also uh, Action Jackson um, other than that I mean if you if, if y'all have any fond memories of whatever movies that he did drop a line Q&A um, along with the hit the like and subscribe button let me know what was your favorite Carl Weathers uh, roles uh, I know here recently uh, he was doing um very, very well in the Mandalorian series. Uh, I like to see what they're gonna do moving forward um, with that role. Uh, are they gonna have him being killed off off screen? Uh, if they're gonna have someone fill that role, those are gonna be some things that, it, that I'm gonna be interested in knowing moving forward as I look at uh, the following season of the show. Uh, also, with my wrestling heads out there, I know a lot of y'all are shocked and surprised, much like myself, to hearing that uh, TNA uh, Vice President Scott Demore was uh, recently fired by TNA Wrestling. Uh, my sources were saying, you know, I guess creative differences, and you know, in a world of professional wrestling nowadays, you, you can't be too sure whether or not if it's a work or whether or not uh, if it's something really going on. And work meaning um, uh, meaning it's a part of the show, kayfabe. But in this case, it seems like it could be real deal. But anyway, hit me up, folks. Uh, Q&A, let me know who are you going to be. Your Super Bowl predictions, San Fran versus KC. Let me know what are your fond memories about Carl Weathers. Drop a line, hit that like, subscribe button, and let me know what is your take on 
former TNA president Scott DeMorn being fired by TNA Wrestling. Anyway, you're right here in the Tilden Mims Serenity, Mims Society Podcast. This is John Mims. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, I'm glad y'all came back here. You're inside the new Temple of Mims Arena. I'm your host, John Mims. This is Mims Society Podcast, if you will. We are in Black History Month. And the shameful and ironic thing is we have, if not the longest history throughout history, we have the shortest month to tell our story. Uh, I'm going to present... I have some little to unknown black history facts that I'm going to bring up here. And I'm just going to share a few of them here with you. And that is, uh, well, the first one is, and I just found this out tonight, that Vermont was the first colony to ban slavery in 1777. And that was something that I really had to search and look for because even in Wikipedia, sometimes, you know, things you have to kind of search a little bit because everything is not quite what it seems. But with that being said, I have a, a good friend of mine, Mr. Lee. He's calling in from an undisclosed location on Southwest Side, Houston. I want you to say hello to all my Men's Society listeners out there. What's good, So right now, uh, Mr. Lee, what, what we're doing on this part, we have what I talk about little to known black history uh, facts and our subjects and you know you're being a, a renaissance man uh, a jack of all trades what what would be some unknown black history facts that you know of that you learned coming up well one was my mom she made me learn that um, New York the lights that's in New York New York used to be ran by gas New York used to be a city like England, very nasty. And so when they bring lights to New York, they gave two white men the opportunity to light New York. And it burned to the ground twice. And then by default, they let a black man bring light to New York, and New York is still shining bright today. But they don't teach our kids that. Wow. That's something I didn't even know that either. That's some shit. <laughs> um, fact, um, uh, the movies that we praise so high and glorify today, and here in the United States, we always see mostly white men, and 95% of the pictures or movies that we see today are white men. But they never tell you the first, the first person on film was a black man riding a horse for 10 seconds. They're not going to tell you that. And that was the first short movie ever made in history. I think they covered something like that in that movie, uh, Nope, with, uh, I believe, Jordan Peele, if I'm not mistaken. I believe... uh, Yes, they did. Yeah, with the horse, yeah. Yep. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. And like... um, when you go to cities or go to certain states and you find lakes 
and yeah, basically lakes where they shouldn't you know they can't if you ever do the research in those places nine times out of ten uh, white America too can drown out black cities that were doing that were being profitable or making money on their own outside of our colonial forefathers. They didn't like that. So what they would do, a gang of white people would either burn, run the people out of town and then to hide what they did, they would flood those areas. Oh, really? Oh, yes, really. Mm. And you can do your own research because in any state, just about every state in in the lower south, there is a place in each one of those states where you'll find a lake that should not be there. And nine times out of ten, it was a black town that was doing so well by itself. Or the one that most people know about is Rosewood. Okay, I know. Rosewood, that, yeah. Rosewood was a city that did not need no help, and it was all black people. And the white people that were surrounding that city did not like that. They did not need them. So what they did was a crowd of white men in the middle of the night went door to door, beating, robbing, and killing anyone that they saw. So those people had to run for their lives. Hmm. And right now today, there are three or four people in their early 80s that can still tell the story of how they were ran from their home. And then a year later, they decided to put a dam there. And they used uh, Rosewood as the lake for the dam. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to ask you, because I know I know you were telling me um, what the listeners, um, what a lot of my new listeners may not know, is, um, you know, me and Mr. Lee, we go back maybe five or six years now. And if I, if I, you all can go back and listen to the original tapes with, uh, with Mr. Lee Uncut, it's still, still streaming, by the way, here right here on fm.anchor slash John Mills. But anyway, uh, a lot of people don't know that you are a very, very avid reader uh, coming up. I know you said, you know, your mom will have y'all reading a lot coming up. Like what words? Oh, yeah, let me define that. An avid reader? Mm-hmm. My mom was the type of woman that if she, she was a single woman of three boys and she was four foot five. Mm-hmm. And by the time that we were eight and nine years old, she sat us all down and she said, because by the time we were eight and nine, we were all taller than her. So she said that she had to go out and work every day to pay the bills in the house that nothing in the house was her responsibility. Mm-hmm. So that we had to have, we had to cover all household responsibilities. But there was one thing that she said in stone, that delivering her house for free, you had to read an hour out loud. And she made that a point in her life. She made that a point to, we had to really uphold. Because she read every book that was in her house. So there was no lying to her about reading. But what she was, what, what she did that for was when we got out of school at 2.30, I came through the crack storm. To keep us out of trouble, she made us read an hour out loud every day after we got home from school. Right. And that kept us out of trouble. Right. But 
at the same time, what was what was uh, stewing in the black culture was if you were smart, then you was an outcast, then you were square. Right. And because we did not talk in slang, we were always the outcast. We were always called them smart kids. Mm-hmm. But they were like, "Why y'all doing it like that? Why y'all Why y'all don't act like us?" It was because my mama stated, "If you are using slang." What are you getting paid for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, nobody's paying us to use slang. So you can use it in her house. Right, absolutely. Uh, uh, so that made the way we talked and the way we really conducted ourselves was totally different from the people that was right outside our front door. So we were automatically cast as the outcast in the neighborhood that we lived in. That's what's up. I see what you're saying. Okay. I knew you had mentioned uh, to me uh, earlier when we was talking about uh, different black history uh, facts and different unknown facts. I know you had mentioned about the term cowboy. Can you go into depth to what the term cowboy actually means? Okay. Let's, let's go to one point. When white people talk to black people, nine times out of ten, they use that word boy, meaning that you are less than. So, white people used to be, white men used to be cow hands because they handled the cows. Okay. Okay. People of color, meaning Indians, Mexicans, and blacks, were called cowboys because we handled the dirty work that dealt with the cows. Okay, I see what you're saying. So now, fast forward, people have forgotten the history of that word, meaning that that meant you was a lower class. Okay. That's why they called you a cowboy. Okay. As, as a matter of fact, uh, to piggyback on what you just said, because uh, I was reading in, in an old school magazine a couple of weeks ago, you know, leading up to uh, like black exploitation, and uh, they were saying that in a lot of those movies, black men or they would say hey what's up man or man I'm doing you know everything was man or bro so they were saying man because they they didn't want to refer to each other as boys or as boy so it, That's right. so it, it definitely makes sense now now that we uh, have a chance to dig deep to where these different uh, different concepts where they actually come from I mean that's something that that, that we could talk about all day and all night as far as, um, you know, we're, we're black more than just 28 days, you know, because we, we're history 25-8, and that's how I look at it. And when you, when you made the um, comment about um, black history has the shortest month mm-hmm. and we have the longest history, mm-hmm. people don't understand what that means. If the oldest human on earth is a black woman, mm-hmm. why would you give that culture the shortest month to discover their history? Right. And they did that on purpose because nine times out of 10, they don't want to hear about our history. They want to know what we're going to do as a lower class to keep them as an upper class. Right. So saying. now you understand why they gave us the shortest month out of the year. Mm-hmm. So now they don't have to deal with us as a culture. 
where they can live off the back of the culture right through the year that makes sense because everything that America says is American is black history mm-hmm. there is nothing in America that is pure white but they won't tell you that in history because that defames the black people or the, uh, excuse me, that defames the white people that were forefathers of this country. Mm-hmm. Like the clothes that we wear on our backs, a black man made the cotton gin, mm-hmm. meaning the cotton gin for a lot of y'all young people, y'all don't understand the cotton gin was made because the seed of the, the seed of, that's in the cotton has protein in it and it does not have a shelf life so it would destroy the cotton so the cotton gin was made to um to press the seed out of the cotton fiber right okay but if you read history it is telling you that the white slave owner actually holds the patent so he got the credit when his slave made the actual machine that's just like the light bulb that lights all our houses. Yes, Thomas Edison made a light bulb, but he could not make the filament that would burn for a long period of time. It was his slave that made the filament that went into the light bulb that gives us light today. But they don't talk about that part. Right. Like I stated earlier, there's nothing in America that is truly white. Right. It was always off the back of someone of color. Of color but they got credit because guess what? The colonial people were in charge. So they wrote the history. So if they write in the history, they're telling the story. So if you don't do your research, you won't find out that half the stuff they tell us that's right is really wrong. That's right. I love black history fact. <laughs> in this country yeah. is because rice was brought to this country in the braids of black women. Because when we got to a new place, we had something to plant. We had food to eat, and it came over in the braids of black women. Okay. They are not going to tell you that part. Okay. You told me a lot tonight of some things that I may have heard in passing but you know as as you get older uh for me i started appreciating you know more more black history facts uh you know as as we get closer to like i said this is a short month you know this time next week it'll be almost pretty much the middle part of the month yeah so we have to you know make as, as much history as, as we can for ourselves and and still I, I feel like we're we're still blazing a trail um it may be a small trail but it's still a trail nevertheless well anyway everyone keep it locked we got a few more other topics that we're going to discuss here i'm all here with my good buddy mr lee calling from an undisclosed location you're inside Temple of Mims Aridity. I am John Mims, your host. This is the Mims Society Podcast. Keep it locked. We'll be right back. Don't go nowhere.
Okay, everybody, welcome back. Welcome back. You are in the place to be inside Temple of Mims Serenity. I am your host, John Mims. You're listening to the Mims Society podcast. As I said before, we're online with my good friend, all the way from an undisclosed location, better part of the southwest side of Houston, Mr. Lee. So we have a couple of things here that um, me and me and a couple of uh, other people had sat around, we talked about and discussed uh, topics that I can include in my Q&A. So uh, my listeners, if you're coming from Apple, uh, if you're listening from iHeart, these are the few things that we're going to bring up tonight. Um, because I am a black man, you know, a lot of the, the, the Q&A may I'm not going to say coexist only for black men because I want all men to be able to feel like I could can somewhat be of an empowerment or help empower these young men and of course young women too be it as, as it may. But anyway, the first thing that, uh, that I'm going to bring out and Mr. Lee is going to help me dissect this first question here and it's that mean being more assertive in 2024 and that means uh, in relationship wise that also can be uh, in life management, being more assertive. Uh, it can be uh, if, if, if you're a spiritual person, you want to uh, if you want to say, hey, I want to feel like I'm doing a better uh, thing, a, a sense of service or justice by becoming more spiritual. How am I going to assert myself uh, more, taking the more the initiative? so to speak, the approach in, in the in the community. And the second part to that is, uh, and unless Mr. Lee, you want to handle the first part first, then we'll go to the second part. But the second part will be is women being submissive here in 2024, and they're dealing with men who are not, uh, who, who have an emotional disconnect. So so what's your assessment on, I mean, being that you're a, a, young, a young black man yourself, what 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 do you say for these men here nowadays to be more assertive here in 2024 if that's a, such a thing okay <clears throat> that's a two-part i have a two-part answer i want to define that okay and say that before 19 before 1940 all black men lived in the home okay when you get to 1950s, when you get to the 1950s, that's when we had socialism added into our culture, meaning that they gave black women the opportunity to have a house outside of poverty, so to speak, so they could raise their kids in a stable environment. But the catch to that was you could not bring your husband and they knew once you took that part or that aspect out of the family group they could tell you anything and you would believe it okay so now when you talk about black men being assertive okay where are where are the matriarchs where are the foundations to give you that assertiveness or that um potential of being assertive in your life it was taken out because the black man was taken out the home. Okay, you're talking about fast forward to 2024. Okay, these men are older, or nine times out of ten, they have that uncle or that 
that granddaddy that actually spoke to them and they took the time to listen because now you're finding out in relationships that it's not all about somebody being submissive to you it's what you are doing inside the relationship that allows a woman to be submissive because there's a protector and there's a provider and nowadays black men are what they're being providers for themselves they're being assertive for themselves and now when it comes down to relationships you're that you're dealing with an emasculated woman that has not been taught how to submit to someone that can provide or someone that can provide security because all her representations of that were of her mother these things okay and I would state and y'all can tell me if I'm wrong 85% of the black men today that are taking on these roles as husbands, mentors, or leaders have found out that education, and once a black man get educated, there's no way that he can be, or his mindset can be as a slave. You cannot unlearn knowledge. So now once you have that knowledge, they are taking it and they are being assertive with this knowledge. And that's it, the first part of your question. Okay. So now when you come into relationship, mm-hmm. you're having to step back from being assertive and actually being an emotional coach for someone that don't need you. Okay. Because that's what they've been taught by the women. And this started in the 80s when they had the uh, mass, um, what I want to say, they had an explosion of teenage pregnancies in the 80s. Okay. And so a lot of that submissiveness, so a lot of that nurturing was not taught because the black women of that time had to stand up, run a household, and make sure these kids were straight because nine out of the ten, their husbands were in jail or they were dealing drugs. or And these were just because of the environment, not because they chose to. Because we, mind you, we are the lower caste Mm -hmm. in society. So if we are the lower caste, that means that the men are 9 to 10, the weaker part of that caste party. Okay. And that is just by design. And I can define it by saying this, and I will take it from, they say our founding father, but um, President Washington. And you can go and look in the um, library of Washington and you can find out his statement. And he said, and I quote, if you take these things away from them and you destroy their history within 200 years, they will not know themselves. And this is what the president of the United States said about black people. And we were enslaved for 460 some years. Wow. That happened. And we are living that statement today. And so now when you say black men are being more assertive in 2024, they are going back to their roots of what they used to be. Mm -hmm. So now bringing forth the family group, we are coming, like I said, we are now being coaches to women that have never been taught how to be submissive. 
So now if you are not assertive, you're not giving her any incentive to be submissive to you as a black man because she's been taught that she needs to be able to do these things herself. Now I'm asking this right here because here, you know, a lot of people will say the environment, the music, that's, that is a culminating to what's going on nowadays. Because, you know, we grew up where there are groups out there were singing about love because they saw love, so they sung about it. So I asked my question, I asked him, I asked my cousin a question the, uh, the other night. And I said to him, in 2024, is, is, uh, is love important or is there such thing as love or is, is love dead? And he said he don't think that it's dead but because we're not hearing it or seeing it, is we're not really being, I guess, subject to really talk about it. So if it's, I guess it's more or less like a see no evil, hear no evil, or. Hey, I, I, can, I can answer that question too. Mm-hmm. That goes back to the family unit. After 1985, or I should say after times you know this um you know we're living in in the time of of everything is trending you know and like everything is 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 a it's a wordplay or it's 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 competition um i know i don't i don't really get too far deep into the what's going on with the cardi b's and the meg the stallions and everything like that but I'm going to say that regardless, I'm going to be on Meg's side anyway because she's from Houston. <laughs> okay. Well, when it, come, when it comes down to that, you can point to you can point to this point right here. Uh-huh. If, if you've never been shown that type of love in your household mm-hmm. and now that you are alienated as a man because as a man, you expected to. They didn't define what you expected to. Society always, they have an unwritten handbook of what a man's supposed to be. So now if they have an unwritten handbook, that means that every woman out here has her own view of what a man's supposed to be. So now when you say in 2024, more men are being assertive, they are being assertive and they are being assertive alone. Because these emasculated women are not willing to what 
look for a provider. They're not looking for security because they've been taught that they can do these things by themselves. So now that goes back to that unwritten handbook of what a man's supposed to be. How do these young boys supposed to know what they're supposed to be when it's always ever changing? That goes in visual, music, society itself. They do not give you a definition of what a man's supposed to be, but we're supposed to be masculine. Mm -hmm. But they're looking for the masculinity. Society says, nowadays, a woman's supposed to be emasculated. She's supposed to be independent. Mm -hmm. There's no talk of a family unit. There's no talk of me and you. There's no talk of we. It's always independent this and independent that. And you can't step to no other culture where a woman is independent. All these older cultures teach their women to depend on their man. And black culture or or black history as a whole in 2024, all they know of is a woman running, handling, and nine times out of ten, she's more educated than the man that she's dealing with. So that way, that's, that answers your question, why more men being assertive in 2024, they're inserting their dominance by doing these things themselves. Right. To show the escalated woman that either you can get along with the program and be submissive to my dominance, me providing, and me providing security, or I can do these things by myself. And that's where a lot of men in 2024 are asserting their independence and their dominance, right. being by themselves. And see, another thing, too, that um, I remember back in the day, and because I have experienced this myself, you know, a lot of times, you know, not all, but some women that I've, I've dealt with at times, you know, they, they would tend to say, oh, John, you're too nice, or... And I'm looking at the woman like, I'm too nice. I thought women like, you know, nice men. But I guess what I'm starting to learn is that... Is that, that, goes, that speaks to that, un, that unwritten handbook of what a man's supposed to be. Yeah. And women are dished out this handbook with this imaginary dream of what a man's supposed to be. And 99% of the men out here today cannot live up to those standards. That's why they are certain they're independent. And their dominance, and their assertiveness, alone. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how how the rest of 2024 pans out. Anyway, listeners, stick around. You're on the line here. This is John Mills, Mr. Society Podcast. Got my good friend, Mr. Lee, here on the line. Stick around. We'll be right back with me. Side note: As we talk about the this Madam Web that's coming here to theaters, we're going to talk about our perspective on the movie moving forward. I know we'll probably filling in some 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 empty holes there. But anyway, stick around. We'll be right back. And don't go nowhere. And I mean bring your asses right back. I ain't lying.
All right, everybody, welcome back. Welcome back again. Happy Thursday to everybody, or happy Friday Eve, if you will, depending on where you're at. This is the part of the podcast where I call Mem Side Note. And this is the part where I like to break down uh, film, television, movies, music, whatever it is that come to mind. Um, I'm a big, big, avid comic book reader. I have been probably for more than 40 years. Um, and I know Mr. Lee have been reading them for, I know, just as long as me, if not longer. Um, so we have a, a new movie coming out. Uh, I'm a, I guess they're trying to get us ready for the, you know, Marvel Studios and different things like that. So they're presenting us with Madam Web. And a lot of my old and new listeners and the viewers are a Spider-Man fan, Marvel fan, comic book fan, whatever it is, you are probably familiar with Madam Web. And for those who are not familiar with Madam Web, um, they are they're doing a take on her from the comic book. Uh, so the premise of that is Cassandra Webb, they call her Cassie, is forced to confront her past while trying to survive with three young women with powerful futures being haunted by deadly adversaries. So that's kind of what the what the premise is going to be in the plot for the movie. Now, um, now the backstory for Madame Webb, because they have her looking fairly young in this movie, but the Madame Webb that I'm used to seeing is, is fairly old and I believe she's blind and she's she's actually paralyzed blind. She's a telepath, uh, very clairvoyant, uh, pregnonative mutant, allowing her to work as professional medium. And she's originally stricken with uh, Gravis, which connected life support system designed by her husband, Jonathan Webb, which included a series of tubes shaped with spider web. Now, uh, she had originally appeared um, in Spider-Man, I believe, in 1980 um, as someone who, who would um, occasionally talk to Spider-Man and she would work almost like a life coach to him because, let's be fair, Peter Parker was always fucking up. Whether it was on purpose or, or not on purpose, he was fucking up in some kind of way. So he didn't really have too many people that, that could guide him. Uh, uh, Tony Stark came along later on as, as a bit of a guide, but Madame Webb is supposed to serve as that uh, medium between uh, his life-altering reality with dealing with being Spider-Man and of course uh, the other shit that he had to deal with with Doc Ock and everybody else. So, Mr. Lee, going back to your days of reading comics and Spider-Man, what do you remember about Madam Webb specifically? What, do, what is your recollection of the character? Just like you said, Madam Webb was blind and she was confined to her. I don't want to say her. I don't want to say her chair. She was confined to her web. And her web was stretched across the multiverse. So with her being clairvoyant, she used her web to see. 
And by her doing that, when Spider-Man was bitten, it caused a reaction in her web. So she started watching this particular plant because she could see partially the future and partially the past. So she, so with her powers, she could formulate a she could formulate an idea or a theory of what was going on. And the reason that she first connected with Spider-Man, if you remember, there was going to be a host, um, there was going to be a assault on the world, on our world, because of Peter Parker. Peter Parker, with him being Spider-Man, he set out certain vibrations in the universe, or let's not say the universe, the multiverse. Because if there's a Spider-Man in, on every planet in the multiverse, with him being a Spider-Man that was not supposed to be, and see, that's the part they waited years to tell that he really was not supposed to be Spider-Man. Okay, well, my Madam Will took it upon herself to teach him what a Spider-Man was supposed to be within that universe and see that, that's what we read and what they are telling y'all are something different they've taken the idea of what Spider-Man is supposed to be which is a savior within a certain universe which we already know there's a multiverse so with him being here and him having to learn who he is as a person, because remember Spider-Man was a kid, so to speak, uh, a teenager, so to speak, when he got his powers. So he did not have a role model. So Madam Webb took it upon herself to intervene. And see, that's the part that's not being told. But if you go back to the comic book, you can see where every time that she in, in inserted herself into this particular universe, it was something. It was for something that Peter Parker had to learn. So I think one of the questions that that came across Q and A was it said, "Why isn't Spider Man in Madam Web?" And uh, as I was reading some of the the questions and somebody also replied saying it's worth knowing it is unclear when exactly it's Madam Webb set and it's possible set to many years before Peter Parker was born. Uh, Adam Scott's character is rumored to be playing a young Uncle Ben. Uh, if so true, it is highly unlikely that the current Spider-Man will make an appearance in Madam Webb. Yeah, so that, yeah, so that makes sense. I mean, um, we're... I mean, but the biggest thing that they're not telling you is why she is Madam Webb is in her own universe they're not explaining that they're just telling a story they're not giving you the backstory Madam Webb is she is a being that has been here for eons so she has a wealth of knowledge even though she's blind but her clear, but her by her being clairvoyant, she can see through her web. Wherever her web touches, she has insight, and that's not what they're telling. Okay. 
And so that's what leads to all the questions about how does Madam Will interject herself here and there. It's because she is in a she's in a alternate universe, mm-hmm. and her will allows her to see. Right. I'm not really sure. Uh, I saw a couple of trailers of how they're doing it. Uh, so far, I like the special effects with it. With, with everything being CGI, it's kind of hard sometimes to grasp the concept. And I know um, with you being more of, of an anime fan, I like anime as well. Um, a lot of our listeners who've been listening to me for a lot of years, they know that I brought up a lot of anime. But Mr. Lee, he he's the type of person, he, he veers away from a lot of the live action uh, superheroes and shows because they don't really do those shows justice. And sometimes, a lot of times, there's an injustice. But that'll be, you know, talks f- probably for another podcast on on how, how on how they do these these beloved characters. And, and so many times, we're well, not to get off subject here on Madam Web. But one thing I wanted to bring up uh, with so many times. Um, people are gender bending characters characters that we've been knowing for 40 50 years that was one they're time. gender bending these characters yeah. to match society of today exactly that's that's my point exactly you because know. if we're going to talk about gender bending they're talking about they're using the gender bending as inclusion yeah because even in the comic book certain comic books they would state that such and such was with a man, but they didn't say he was in love with that man. Mm-hmm. Okay, now they're bringing those stories to the foreground. Right. And that goes with inclusion. Mm-hmm. Not saying it's wrong, not saying it's right. Mm-hmm. But my thing is, if you're going to include someone's sexuality into this realm of film, why do you always include a white person with a black person? Mm-hmm. And that is them inserting themselves mm-hmm. inside of, or their colonialism inside of the cartoon or the uh, mega universe, which is what we see today because before 1990 there was no talk about a multi-universe exactly yeah they didn't start that until maybe like the late 90s maybe early 2000s when i can remember when they started the multiverse it's because they had to expand a lot of these characters that, that we grew up reading in this in the 70s and 80s they had to explain why, you know, obviously Bruce Wayne, he was going to get older. So they had to explain, okay, well, there's many different Bruce Waynes. In, in- okay, well, we're going to talk about Bruce Wayne. We're going to talk about that's an African character that was stolen to make, and they turned him into a white man. And, and, his, and his mask or his outfit had noticed that he is covered from head to toe except the bottom part of his face and that's to show the police that he's a white man. Oh wow. Okay. 
Right. Yeah, but they're not, they not going to talk about that part. That if we're going to talk about inclusion, we can't only talk about sexuality. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about colonialism. Right. Because remember, they are the victors and they are the ones that are writing history. Exactly, absolutely. Because all, um, and if we're going to talk about uh, cartoon characters and inclusion, okay, well, let's talk about Superman. If Superman gets all his energy from a yellow sun, why when Superman got killed or he got hit with a um, bullet of, um, what is um, um, from his, from his home world, Krypton, Kryptonite. Why did he have to design a black suit to absorb more of the sunlight when Superman was actually a black African character just like Batman was and they brought him to the United States and they had to change him into a white man so that he could be shown to the world. Yeah, I, I think we had, I think we had talked about that once before, uh, a while back, and and I was hoping that because a lot of the characters that we know with Marvel and DC, I did go back and read a lot of it was taken from a lot of African folklore, like the folk literature, and they just simply changed the name, changed the uh, the origin of, of where they were or where they came from. Uh, and I often wonder why they did that, you know, but um, I guess they wanted to, you know, they say that everything white is right. So I guess that maybe that was their, 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 their format. Well, we're now in 2024, white is not right because white is always the opposite of, white is always the opposite of black. And everything black, if you look at anything, if you do your research, everything that has the prefix black is led to be or defined as something bad. Where we know in nature, if it's black, it is more healthy, it is more forgiving to the body. And anything that is white is man-made. And nature tells that story. But they refuse to look at the fact. And now that you have so many people, and I know it's getting off the subject, but you have so many people around the world that are dying from the white is right idea. Right. Okay, that's just like Dr. Seeley. He was telling us that if it's not from nature or of nature, why are we ingesting it? Mm -hmm. And there go again, we as a people have not been taught about what nature really is. Nature itself is a story and she has many branches. That's why nature is always portrayed as a tree. So my thing was what I said that what I what I mentioned that for is I want to talk about a character Wonder Woman. We all know that there was a warrior society of black women. And those black, that's where Wonder Woman comes from. From that warrior tribe of black women. But they don't tell our black children or children of color, that's where she is really from. 
And this a this is a realistic character. These are real people. These people really existed. Amazon women that ruled themselves. And no, they didn't have their men in slavery. And they didn't do that. It was only chosen. It was only chosen men that could mate with them. So to tell that type of story as a colonial in the colonial eyes, they bought into they bought slavery into the picture, meaning they enslaved their men so they could rule. That means they could destroy femininity within the story because all these women are masculine. Right. It's a lot. It's a lot to be talked about when you want to talk about cartoon characters and the life that we actually live. Right. That's because I'm they're telling us the truth, but they're telling us with wordplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- those are definitely some good topics that I think that uh, we have uh, uh, plenty that we can use for some up and coming. Uh, Mississippi podcast shows. Anyway, y'all keep it locked right here as we are moving into the bewitching hour, if you will. It is six minutes here at, at a 12 o'clock Central Standard Time. If you are in, of course, this part of town in Houston, Texas, but of course, if you're elsewhere on the East Coast, you're probably looking at seven minutes after one o'clock. Stick around. This is the Mississippi podcast. John Mills will be right back. All right, y'all, welcome back, welcome back. You are in the good old temple of Memsarinity. You're inside also, this is Mr. Society Podcast, where yours truly, John Mills. We still have my good friend, Mr. Lee, on the end of calling in from an undisclosed location. So what we got going on in this last segment here, um, I was fortunate enough to uh, take a, a lift ride the other day across town to visit my mom. And the, and the thing was, the lift driver he was he was going out down this and that, and you know he made it to a part where the street where kind of like they were braced with you know cut off that the streets was real messed up. I'm like, like he was man, it felt like a roller coaster. So my I guess my thing is, uh, I know our taxpayers here in the great state of Texas and here in Houston, I know. In that area, it is a lot of flooding around there with the water succumbing in that area. But what I would like to know and what improvements are going to be made here in Houston because the streets are bad. I mean, like I understand buses go up and down the street. I understand we have a high flooding area. But um, not long ago, uh, I took a lift one other night and. Uh, went down the street it was a lot of flooding it was right it was right around the time where we were doing a lot of raining but two or three streets over it was no flooding so that just showed me that the sewer system the backing probably in a neighborhood was very bad so i coincided with everything uh this could be part of my q and a my listeners out there if you're coming from uh calling in from anchor or listening from uh apple whatever you get your podcast leave a q a uh, a question I'll leave, I'll read your answer on the next podcast when we're online next. Um, what should be done with the streets, the roads in Houston? I know there's some bad ones here. Uh, 
Well, Mr. Lee, you've been living in Houston for a little while now. What What are your experiences with the streets here in Houston and athletic here? One of my biggest experiences with um, the streets here in Houston is that I found out that Houston infrastructure has been kicked down the street. That can has been kicked down the street for the last 30 years. They've always said that we're going to improve. We've they've always talked about. I've been in Houston for six years now, and for six years. I have always heard about, oh, we're going to do this to the infrastructure, but when it comes down to actually doing the work, it gets kicked down the, it gets kicked down the road for another year because of such and such is going on in Houston. And that's what leads to these roads because Houston, Houston itself, if you look at Houston on a map, it's a funnel. It's going straight to the ocean. So our infrastructure is made so the roads handle the water. So the roads are actually the waterways when we have flooding here in Houston. Okay, and when we talk about infrastructure, okay, well, we have pipes, we have electricity, we have all these things in the ground here in Houston. And with that infrastructure or them with the talk of improving the infrastructure, these things have been neglected to the point where now we have flooding in certain areas. And then when we have heavy rains or heavy storms, just like we had a few weeks ago, they had to open up the, uh, the floodgates of the dam. And maybe you didn't have flooding on your street when it was raining. But because they opened up the floodgates, that water had to come down through the bayous. And a lot of our bayous have houses encroaching on the edge of these bayous. And so there's always going to be flooding when there's heavy rain. Because I hate to say it, if we're going to talk about business and finances, downstream is collateral damage. Because they can't allow, they cannot allow the dam to overflow. Because we still have water plants, water filtration plants, certain places here in Houston. And if you allow that dam to overflow, that means that these um, water processing plants are going to be inundated with uh, unfiltered water, which comes through our faucets, our sinks, you know, and so. They have to make the decision to open up the floodgates to allow their extra water to flow out so they do not mess up the water system that are still working inside of the city itself. So you have to think in the context of collateral damage. Anything downstream is collateral damage. But what is downstream? People people of color live downstream. People that live in poverty live downstream because most people with money live around the lake and they're not going to have multi-million dollar homes flooded out. So they're going to open up those floodgates and everything downstream is going to be collateral damage. And we hate to speak on people 
as collateral damage, but it will be better for these people's homes to be flooded out than the water filtration systems within Houston to be flooded out. And then you have millions of people that cannot drink water. Okay, I see what you're saying. So it's hard to think about it in those contexts, but business does not have no color. It just has its own language. Right. I, I was telling someone that a few days ago, uh, we was talking about the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. I don't recall how we ended up on that subject because uh, what I found out um, that one of the guys who I work with on my day job, his um, his his dad, I believe, is a famous comedian in that country, and so he's comfortable. He doesn't really have to work. I'm referring to the coworker, and somebody asked him one day why does he work you know when he doesn't have to work and uh his reply was that you know he would be bored you know sitting at home uh knowing that he has guaranteed money probably coming to him but i'm not in that position i've never been in that position but i can probably understand the boring or the bored aspect because uh i'm not wealthy or rich but I guess I can I can say that I'm rich in 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 other ways in in, in the forms of a, of a blessing. But that just show a testament to a person they don't have to do certain things, but because they want to do it. And I know you know I've been knowing you for a couple of years now, and I know that you know you you deal with your different elements yourself, but. You're not a lazy person. You get out there and, and and you make it happen. So when I see this young man here, and you know doesn't have to work, but he still insists he wants to. Hey, that that shows a good uh, work ethic. So that's a that's a credit to him, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, but we're talking those contexts right there. That's what the rich keep getting rich and the poor keep getting poor poor is because rich people live like they're poor. Poor people live like they're rich. Right. Because find that they're trying to um they're trying to water the flowers of envy. Because you don't need a Mercedes staying in the projects. You don't need a Hellcat and your rent is eight hundred dollars. Because you're feeding the flowers of envy when you live to that type of standard. Because who are you showing out for if you're an individual? Right. I think I think one have to to me live within their means. I'm not saying don't go out there and enjoy yourself. Uh, a friend of mine a long time ago, she used to always say ball on the budget. I never understood what the minute first. You can go out there, and then once I got a little older, and once I seen what she was talking about, yeah, you can go out there and ball, but it, it still coincide with uh, w- really with living within your means. Uh, it's like going to the store. You want to spend two hundred and fifty dollars, but you only have one hundred and fifty dollars. So you have to think about okay. 
I really want to spend 250, but I got 150. So you have to start thinking in those contexts. Yeah. yeah Let's just like I'll say this right here. I'm originally from the East Coast and I'm from a little town with 500 people today. In 2024, there's only 500 people in my little town where I'm from. So when I came to Houston, here, everybody thinks from the people where I came, where I'm coming from, they think I'm balling or living above my means here in Houston. But Houston gives me more opportunities to move around and live a certain way than I could ever done in the country where there are no opportunities. So for them, it makes them seem like I am balling on a budget. I'm balling. Because if I live in, if I was still living in that society, there's no way, or living in North Carolina, there is no way that I could live to this standard here or there. I could not live to this standard in North Carolina. No. I mean, I'm just saying because in North Carolina, the only opportunities there are working for someone that's going to demean you every day, meaning a work, restaurant worker. Or you're working in a plant where you're messing up your hand with a knife. Or you're messing up your back because you're doing things that are back-breaking work. Or basically, or you're competing for jobs that foreigners have come in and taken over because black people don't do those jobs anymore. Right, that's interesting. So here in Houston, it gives me an opportunity to be or to move around in a certain way that I could never imagine over there. Or I can sum it up like this. Coming from the city that I was lived in on the East Coast, I am coming from four times the cost of living in Houston. From here to Houston, from the East Coast to here, it is four times, it costs me four times more to live here. But it's easier to find employment here than it was there. Right. Does that make any sense? It makes plenty of sense. I mean, people are hiring. I, I guess it just depends on what uh, what one wants to do. But if, if, if you, it's like, here's the word uh, where you, in the, in the previous segment, assert. If you assert yourself, enough you can go out there you can find something you know it may not be the you know what you want right away but you know anything be the zero so i'll say this right here because i have a homegirl right now she's balling she done bought her house guess what she works at though right she works at mcdonald's she make 18 dollars an hour at mcdonald's she worked at Taco Bell. She has two jobs. She, well, she really has three. She works at McDonald's, and that is, it's the, that's the highest paying job she has. That's eighteen dollars an hour. And nothing wrong with that. Yeah. She works at Taco Bell. That's fifteen dollars an hour. And then her part time job on the weekend is she works at Sonic. And then there it go again. That's a sixteen dollar an hour job. Yeah. Where 
in most of the country, you could not even think about working multiple restaurant jobs and own a house. I, I but know, Houston itself allows you to do that. I've known people in the past that used to frown on individuals that used to work for uh, fast food, you know, different places like that. And I used to say, hey, you know, somebody has to do that type of work, you know. I I come from a background of you know, waiting tables, being a busser. So everybody, I think, have gotten their hands done at some point, you know. You, you know, like I say, everything, you know, everybody talks about, oh, the, the jobs that they don't want to do and jobs that they would never do. But it just depends on what, what position you're in. Because because you may be high up one day working working as an engineer, uh, you know, for an oil plant or whatever, and and then, and then the next day you're probably you know working at Shipping Donuts. You know, you never know what what path that that you can land on. Well, anyway, folks, I want y'all to stay tuned. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to the Mem Society podcast. You're inside the Temple of Memzerini. Got my good friend, Mr. Lee, on the end. We'll be right back with some shout-outs and recognitions. Y'all keep it right here. Keep it locked. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. We are here at the closing of Miss Society podcast, uh, at least for tonight anyway. Uh, it was a pleasure, as always, talking to my good friend, Mr. Lee, him dropping in. Uh, he dropped in with, with some knowledge, as always. Uh, he didn't come short or shy of uh, what I expected him to bring to the table, so I do appreciate that. Uh, I want to thank my listeners. Uh, if you're listening on Spotify, if you're listening on Anchor, Amazon, iHeartRadio, uh, wherever you get your podcast from, you have all you have all these great chances and choices to whoever you want to listen to. I'm glad you chose mine here tonight. I hope you all continue to let me entertain you here in Mem Society Podcast. This is John Mims. I want to give a big shout out. To all my listeners here in Houston, out there in Louisiana, uh, we're gonna have some listeners out there in Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, where my homeboy is from, Mr. Lee. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to everybody who's participating in Q and A. Thanks for dropping in with your online questions. I hope I was able to uh, answer your questions uh, online. Please hit the like and subscribe button if you will. Uh, it is now 1231 here, Central Standard Time. Peace out. Good night and good morning, wherever you're from. Hope to talk to y'all next time. We out.